Friends, I don't know if you realize this, but we're very blessed to have the music that we have in this church. Because it's beautiful. It is. But not only is it beautiful, it's deep. We are not singing shallow words about a great God. We're singing deep, great words about a great God. You sing well. I'm happy. And we praise the Lord, Jeff. You're blessed to have the family you have, and we are blessed that you have the family you have. Praise God. Friends, if you turn your Bible to Colossians 1, we're going to consider today Colossians 1, verses 1 through 2. We're beginning a series. We're going to be in this series through the end of February. We're going to look at Colossians verse by verse, word for word. We believe that every word in the Bible is from God, and therefore we study it carefully so that we hear from the Lord. Our text reads, Colossians 1, verses 1 through 2, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Do you remember what your first email address was? Do you remember giving that out to people? Do you remember that perhaps your first choice for an email address was kind of embarrassing today? Do you ever think about it and think, oh gosh, I'm glad I don't have to give out that email anymore? Well, about 25 years ago, we were all trying to figure out how this works, right? Uh, some words, and then there is a symbol, an at, and then some words, .com, or then things like .net started appearing, and, and, and we started giving this out. And really, 25 years ago, uh, when we, whenever we received an email, we would get excited, right? Oh, here's an email in my inbox. This is cool. Letters, who cares about letters? I get a ton of those. Things have changed, though, right? We, we look at our inboxes, and we think, oh, gosh, how much junk is in here? But then when we get a letter, now that's exciting, right? We, we, we get a letter addressed to us. Now that's exciting. A, a letter, a letter is special, isn't it? Now, I'm not talking about the usual 15% off in your next cheese pizza at your local pizzeria letter. I'm talking about a letter written specifically to you with, with your name addressed. Much of the New Testament in the Bible has come to us in form of letters. Thirteen of these letters written by the Apostle Paul, nine of them written to churches, and four of them written to individuals. These letters are filled with theology, history, life principles. Most of Paul's letters are written to churches. Like you and I are a part of this church today. But what if you received a letter from the Apostle Paul? What if a letter from the Apostle Paul came addressed to you? What issues would Paul address in your life? What would he correct? What sins or temptations would he call you to repent from? How would he commend you? How would he encourage you? Well, if you, if you know, this letter actually is written to you. Colossians is a letter that is actually written from God to you. So if you want to know what the apostle wants to say to us, or to you specifically, this series would be incredibly helpful. Because we can know how we ought to be corrected, how we ought to be encouraged, how we ought to be challenged, how we ought to grow individually, corporately. The Bible tells us this. 2 Timothy 3.16, you know, you know this verse. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This includes, 
Paul is primarily referring to the Old Testament here, but this includes also what Peter calls scriptures, right? In 2 Peter, which is Paul's writings. This 66 books that have come down to us in this canon of scripture, handed to us directly from God. So as we dive into this series today, God will use the words of Colossians to shape us into his image. This is why at Central Baptist Church we believe in expository preaching. We believe that it is God's word that changes us. So when we preach the word, even when we, when, even when we come across greetings that seem to be mundane, we preach it as the word of God to us because we believe that every word in this book is inspired by God. So my outline for today is very simple, okay? We're going to consider two things. We're going to ask two questions of this text, and, and, and this will help us think about the importance of this greeting. We're going to ask the question, who is Paul? And then we're going to ask the question, who are the Colossians? Who is Paul? We're going to consider that primarily from verse 1. And then who are the Colossians? It's primarily going to be the question that is going to be answered by verse 2. So, who is Paul? Who is Paul? Look again at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul was formerly a zealous Jewish leader. Here's what he says about himself in the letter to the Galatians. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. A, a zealous Jewish teacher who at a young age was very advanced in the Jewish traditions. Now, this is a good reminder right now, right? That we can be very passionate about the wrong things. Uh, a passion, zeal, does not necessarily mean right or true. Paul himself would say, I was wrong. His life came to a halt as he encountered the risen Jesus himself. And Paul becomes aware that all of his works amounted to nothing. Because regardless of how hard anyone works or how much, how much zeal anyone has, if your work is not done in Christ, it only amounts to condemnation. This is why later on Paul would say in 1 Timothy 1.15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Paul recognizes that although, although he was wrong, he has been changed and he has been transformed as the chief of sinners who has encountered a great Savior. And Paul goes from Zealous Jewish leader, enemy of the church, to zealous Christian leader. A complete transformation. This is Paul, who speaks to us today. So, question, do you think anyone is beyond change? Do you look at people sometimes and think, there's no hope for this person? Well, Paul reminds us that change is possible in the most deep way. Change is possible even in the most extreme cases. Friends, there is great hope for transformation in Jesus. If Paul can turn from his wicked ways, anyone can turn from their wicked ways. You know the hymn that says, The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives? Th that is true of Paul. That is true of 
anyone who you would like to see coming to salvation. That is true of you. And that is true of me. So what do we do when we want to see this radical transformation? Like Paul, who meets the reason Jesus. Well, we need to pray for people. It is the Lord who works. It is the Lord who gives life to dead souls. We need to pray that others will come to a knowledge of the gospel. But not only that, we need to share the gospel. We need to believe that the gospel does what the gospel is supposed to do. The gospel transforms hardened hearts. Doesn't the prophet say that? Your word never comes back void. By the way, when the prophet is saying that, he's talking about the new covenant promises that are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Not just every, every verse of the word, but that which Jesus writes in people's hearts. The law of God. The spirit that comes and regenerates. We should share the gospel. We should pray. But also, when we look at Paul and we ask, how does all of this take place? How does this great, great change take place? It is important for us to, to look inward as well and ask the question, is it possible for me to be transformed? Maybe you're here with us today and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I love the tradition of the church. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I love the community of the church, but I just can't believe it. Friends, it is the Lord who works in us. It is the Lord who transforms us. Trust the Lord. He can give you a believing heart. Maybe you're a Christian with us today, and you're saying, I love the Lord, but I have struggled. I have struggled to live a holy life. I have struggled to let go of sin. I have struggled to love well. Paul is a reminder to us that he who once breathed murderous thoughts towards the church can speak words of life for the church. So if Paul can change, we can change. We can grow and we can become more like Christ. So that's Paul. But then Paul goes on in this verse to say that he is an apostle of Christ the word apostle simply means sent one. Someone who is sent, a, an, an emissary, an, an ambassador, a, a missionary. An apostle is more than just a messenger. An apostle is a messenger who carries authority. An apostle is a person who represents another, but vested in that person's power. One way that we can think of an apostle today is someone who has power of attorney. Someone who is able to make decisions and speak on behalf of someone else. Uh, Paul is an apostle. But an apostle of whom? Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ himself. So when we read the words of Paul in Colossians, we are reading the words of Christ and now remember what Paul himself says, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ. Right? He says that in Romans. So when we're hearing Paul speak to us today, we're hearing the words of Christ. We're hearing the words of faith. We're hearing the words of transformation. It is the authority of God that undergirds the words we're studying, we're studying this very day. Now, let me say this. The ministry of the apostles was a ministry that was connected with the witnesses of the risen Christ. The apostolic ministry does not exist in individuals today. As we're going to see, that ministry continues, but as we look to the apostolic teaching, so that we can know what the Lord wants us to obey. Remember, he commissions his apostles, and he tells them, right, go, right, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them how to obey all things. 
And that is the foundation of the church. So if someone claims the office of apostle today, we need to know that that's not a biblical principle. The ministry of the apostles has been fulfilled, and they continue on through the preaching of that which they've written and that which they have taught. But how important is the ministry of the apostles? Listen to a theologian, Douglas Moo. By the way, you're going to hear a lot from Douglas Moo because I'm, I'm, I'm leaning heavily on him as I'm studying Colossians. Uh, listen to what theologians Douglas Moo would say about, about the apostle. An apostle is a person called by Christ himself to represent Christ and to proclaim Christ and thereby serve as the foundation of the new people of God. Who is that? Us, the church. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and, strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Okay, so think about the house of God. What is the house of God? It is the church. And now he, he's, going to, he's going to use, right, uh, a builder's illustration. Built on the foundation. The house of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The, the, the apostolic ministry is what builds the church. But Christ himself is the cornerstone. In other words, Christ is the rock upon which the house of God rests. The people of God, the single people of God, from the beginning until today, all who profess faith in God according to the revelation that was given covenantally to them. All of the people of God is built on Christ. Whether it is the revelation that they had in the prophets or that we have today in the prophets and the apostles, that is how the church is built. So, so it's important for us to consider this, right? Because we're working hard to build a healthy church, right? We're working hard. Every church needs to be working hard to build a healthy church. So if the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ, and the edification of the church is the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, how is a healthy church built? Through the proclamation of the word. Okay? So a healthy church is not, is not built through programs. A healthy church is not built through busy schedules. A healthy church is not built through manipulation. A healthy church is not built through large budgets and beautiful buildings. A healthy church is built through the proclamation of the word of Christ. That is why we come to a greeting and we say, Lord, what are you saying to your church through these words? So friends, a healthy church can look like a small gathering of five, ten people. It could look like a gathering of a few hundred people, maybe even a, a thousand people. A, a healthy church can look like a, a beautiful, ornate building where people gather. Or it can look like a shack. A, a healthy church is not determined by what it looks like on the outside, but by how faithful that church holds on to the words of the apostles and the prophets as they proclaim the risen Christ. So this is why we preach verse by verse, because it is the preaching of the word that of the apostles and the prophets that build the church. In our preaching, we don't prioritize creativity. We don't prioritize entertainment. We don't prioritize novelty. My question is not, how can I please you with my preaching? Even though I would like for you to be engaged. But my question is, what do I need to tell you from the Lord today? So, we know how this works with children, right? If, if children could have their way, the whole food pyramid would, would be, their whole food pyramid would, be, would consist of mac and cheese and ice cream, right? But we don't do that. Well, sometimes we do because the fight is just too hard. But we don't do that, right? 
we, we give them what they need. A and sometimes what they need tastes like broccoli, right? But, but that's okay. That's what they need. So, so as we're considering how our preaching is going to go, our preaching is going to be primarily about needs and wants. Our preaching is going to be primarily about how to edify, how to build up the church and the faith of the believers through the word of God. So if you find this way of preaching strange, because you may be new with us, or you may be new to exegetical, expositional, verse-by-verse -verse preaching, can I just ask you to commit to one thing? Commit to be with us for this series. It's going to take about 10 weeks. At the end of this series, I will ask you this question. Have you grown spiritually? Has the preaching caused you to grow to be more like Christ? And if the answer is yes, friends, let me tell you, this is what you need. So let us consider our great need to hear the preached word of Christ as it is laid out to us through the prophets and the apostles. Well, let me take this application a different way now. In a different way, we, we can also look at Paul's commissioning and understand that we too are commissioned, right? So, so Paul is sent, right, an apostle, someone who is sent out to represent Christ. And we likewise are sent out into this world to represent Christ. No, we're not the foundation of the church or we have not been given, given scriptural inspiration. But we represent Christ and his kingdom. In John 17, 18, Jesus prays for his disciples and those that would be reached by them, saying, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So no, we don't have the, act, the right to act however we want. We don't have the right to hate our neighbor. We don't have the right to be inhospitable. We don't have the right to unleash and embrace road rage. We don't represent ourselves. We represent our Savior. Just as Paul represents him in a greater way. So this week on Monday, I went to, I went to a, a CrossFit gym. Now, CrossFit is just this awkward thing where people come together and they work out really hard and, and then they... And then they walk away thinking that they accomplished great things. Um, so there's just a lot of pride involved in this. So I, I show up and I'm like, oh, I can't stand this whole deal. I just want to exercise. And so I, I see a, a young man uh, warming up next to me. And I say, let me break the ice and let me introduce myself to him. So I go up to him and I say, hey, my name is Lucas. And he looks at me and he says, I know, and you're a preacher. And I'm awestruck. I'm thinking, how small is this city? It can't be that small. It turns out that somebody from the church also attends that gym and, and told this person that I was going. And when he noticed that I was lost and confused, he figured, that's the pastor, right? So, so I, I show up and I realize, Lord, I could have, I could have brought shame to your name. I could, have, I could have embarrassed you because, because somebody knew that I represent you. And suddenly I realized that I was more concerned with my own appearance than even the name of the Lord. What would he think of me? Hypocrites. Right? Uh, don't worry about people thinking we're hypocrites. Worry about people having a misconception of whom we represent. I'm not saying we should be hypocrites, right? I'm saying our hypocrisy is not about us. You cannot offend me more than I offend myself with the hymns that I sing Sunday morning. But, but I don't want you to misunderstand whom I represent. I represent the holy God, creator of the universe. We represent him. So just as Paul is sent out as an apostle, we are sent out in the world to represent Christ. Paul himself says this in 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors 
of Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. But then Paul goes on to say that he's an apostle of Christ by the will of God. What does this mean? It means Paul did not appoint himself to be an apostle. God appointed him. In Acts 9, Paul finds himself on his way to murder the church. But he's shockingly brought to a halt by the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And through a man called Ananias, an early church disciple, the words of the apostolic commission would eventually come to Paul. And these are the words of Paul's commission. But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And Paul's ministry was one of suffering. We're going to see that he says a, a shocking phrase at the end of chapter 1. That he is feeling that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. If you want to know what that means, come back. Keep coming back. We'll understand everything in context. Paul is called to a ministry that he himself would probably not choose. One of suffering for the sake of the kingdom. So friends, the Lord works all things according to the purpose of his will. The calling of Paul, our calling, the transformation of Paul, our transformation. Now remember my earlier comment, if Paul can change, anyone can change. And why? Because God who worked change in Paul is the same God who works change in us. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. By the way, this means uh, uh, sanctification, right? Work out your sanctification. Put, put to practice your salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, so when it comes to transformation in our lives, we know we can work things out. Why? Because God is working in us both to will and to do. So if we think, I can't change, you're probably thinking right. But if you start thinking, God can change me. God can change my desires. That's what it means to change, right? God works in us both to will, that's our desires. And God can change our practices to do. God works it all out in us as we work hard. So who works? According to Philippians, we work. But who else works? God works. It is with the energy that he supplies that we work. Paul will say that later in Colossians 1.29. But then Paul goes on to mention Timothy, our brother. It's unclear why Paul mentions Timothy, our brother. It's clear that Paul wrote the letter. Uh, he's not the one who actually wrote it down. At the end, he says, I write these greetings with my own hand, meaning he picked up the pen and he wrote those words. So someone else was writing for him. So perhaps that's Timothy. We don't know. But perhaps Paul was speaking and Timothy was with him as he spoke we don't know Paul writes this letter from a jail cell perhaps Timothy was a fellow prisoner with him in jail we don't know I think that it's that most likely Paul is referring to Timothy here because Timothy probably had some spiritual influence in the church at Colossae it's, it's likely that, 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 that they viewed him as a pastor, as an authority over them. And to me, it, it's remarkable 
that Paul often mentions those who are ministering with him in the greetings of his letters. Paul views ministry as not something that emanates from him, but from those who are called by God to serve the church. Friends, the Christian ministry is not a ministry of individuals. You will never hear from this pulpit that this church is Pastor Lucas's church. Because it is not. We have been called to minister in this church, and this church belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. In this church, you and I are partners in ministry. We reject the Catholic view that there is a higher way of Christianity and a lower way of Christianity. No, we are all of a common faith. Do we have different roles? Sure we do. Do, do we have different abilities? Sure we do. But just as I am called to serve the Lord 24 hours of my day, seven days a week, you are called to serve the Lord in the same way. This church does not depend on me to exist. And it doesn't depend on you. It is the Lord who loves her and who keeps her. Martin Luther would say that a Christian shoemaker does not worship God by hanging little crosses on his shoes when he is making his shoes, but by making shoes with excellence. Because as he works, he worships God. So it is not because I am the pastor of this church that I am the one who is able to worship the Lord through my vocation alone. You too, by being good at what you do, by being good to your bosses, by being faithful to your work, we're all brothers and sisters linking arms together to serve the Lord. Okay. So now we've answered the question, who is Paul? And we're going to continue answering this question throughout this series. But also, let's consider the question, who are the Colossians? We're going to mainly see this information from verse 2. Okay, Verse 2 reads, To the saints and faithful brothers in, Col in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from, our, from God our Father. The church at Colossae, the Colossians, was a church in a Roman province at a place called Phrygia. Okay, today, th that city would be in modern-day Turkey. Colossians, unlike cities like uh, the, Thessalon the Thessalonians, uh, it's not a modern-day city anymore. Colossians had seen its glory days in the past. It, it sat through an important trade routes. But, but the trade routes shifted around. So the city was no longer glorious, was no longer populous. This church was not large. It likely met in someone's home, in someone's household, perhaps Philemon. As a matter of fact, about 15 years after this letter was written, the city pretty much ceased to exist. So, so unlike the church at Corinth, and unlike the church in Rome, unlike other churches in cities that we, we, didn't even, we would even know these cities today, the church in Col at Colossae was an insignificant, in some ways, church but not for the apostle. See, Paul didn't plant this church. This church was likely planted by a man that we're going to consider next, next week, Epaphras, who was an associate of Paul. But, but Paul loved this church because he had heard good things about this church. And he writes to them. He writes to them to care for them. And what does he call them? He calls them the saints, to the saints. Literally, 
the holy ones. Now, this is not something we go around saying about ourselves, right? I'm the holy one, right? It's kind of like if you are humble, you, you don't really say that. I'm, I'm humble because that kind of, kind of works backwards, right? If you say you're humble, you're not. And if you don't say you're humble, you, you probably are humble, right? So, so we don't, say, don't go around boasting on our holiness, But Paul says this of this church. He says this of the church at Colossae. He says, you are saints. You are holy. And there is a sense in which that is true. We know that God is holy. We know that Jesus is holy. And of course, the Holy Spirit is holy. In Acts 3, the prophets are called holy. In Ephesians 3, the apostles are called holy. Angels are holy, but these all seem to be either persons of the Godhead or persons who, or or, or angelic beings, or persons who occupy a special office. But Paul now says, you are holy to the Colossians. What does he mean? Have they ceased to sin? Have they reached perfection? Holy is a designation of everyone who relates to God through faith. Holy is a designation of everyone who who relates to God through faith. We are holy in the sense that our position before God is one of holiness, one of faith. By placing our faith in Christ, we receive the righteousness of Christ. And because we're vested in the righteousness of Christ, we are saints. We are holy. Theologians make this differentiation by this. They say that we are positionally holy. Our position before God is of holiness. But progressively, we are becoming holy. Okay? So in our position, we're justified. And in our progression, we are being justified and friends this is the heart of the gospel that we would come to christ by faith not by works that we would come to christ recognizing the sin that lingers the sin that kills the sin that separates that's what christians primarily do they recognize their sins and they come to god in faith Trusting that God has made a way. Christians don't boast on their great accomplishments. Christians don't boast on their ability to read the Bible. Christians don't boast on their ability to attend church. On their ability to raise children. Christians don't boast on their giving. Because they know that if any of those things were done apart from faith, those things would not be righteous. They would actually amount to condemnation because when we do good works not in faith, we do it for self. That means we idolize ourselves and idolatry is a terrible thing. You know, I had, I I read my Bible on my phone because I can keep notes and I can keep, uh, and I can I can keep track of my my reading uh, progress, and I'm making my way devotionally through Ezra, and I had I had gone through several hundred days of reading my Bible without breaks, but on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day, I waited to read the Bible in the evening, and I realized that when I went to bed. I'm sorry, on Christmas Eve day, which is Christmas day for me, on Christmas Eve, I waited to read my Bible in the evening, and I realized that I started reading after midnight. And I had this little number on my app that said, you have read your Bible for 398 days. But when I opened up my Bible that day, it said, you've read your Bible for zero days. And I thought, no, that looked so good. And now I've lost it. 
You see, friends, I mean, I was dealing with pride, wasn't I? Look at how much I can do. Look at how disciplined I can be. And even though I didn't skip the day, because technically, uh, that, that very day I did spend time in the Word, that very day I preached the Word to you, right? Uh, that little number in the app is gone now, and I'm in day two. Does it matter? You know, it doesn't. Because it is the eyes of the Lord who is everywhere. The Lord knows that when we read our Bibles, it's not, it ought not to be for shows, but because we love Him and we want His Word in us and we want to grow in the knowledge of His Word because the more we know His Word, the more we love Him and the more we love Him, the more we grow and the more we let go of sin and the, the more we go to grow to be like Christ. Friends, it doesn't matter our spiritual disciplines if they're done so that others can see. That's hypocrisy. Our spiritual disciplines matter if we do them because we love the Lord. And we only do it right if we come to the Lord by faith, confessing our sins and saying, Lord, I am wretched. Even in my desire to do what is right, I desire to do that out of pride. Kill this old man in me. Kill this lingering sin in me. Give me a new heart. Give me of your spirit. Transform me so that I can truly love you and be made in your image. We're holy in the sense that our position before God is one of holiness through faith. This don't, doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin, but it means we're not enslaved to sin. This also means there's no room for pride in the heart of the Christian. There is no such thing as a good Christian. Only one is good, and that is Christ who redeems us. So, to live out our holiness is not a call to perfection at this end of eternity, right? It is a call to faithfulness. And this is what Paul calls the Colossians next. Faithful brothers. If holy refers to our relationship with God, we're holy before God, faithful brothers refers to our relationship with other believers. Let's consider first what it means to be faithful. The original word here is interesting. It can be rendered faithful or believing. And there is a sense in which we can see a clear relationship between these two words. It is impossible to be a faithful Christian without belief. Belief is what pleases God. Belief is the root of righteousness. Anything that we do that does not proceed from faith, belief, amounts to sin, therefore unfaithfulness. The other side of the token is also true. Anything that we do with belief or faith is an act of righteousness or an act of faithfulness. I love the word faithfulness, and you often hear this from me. This is the phrase that I keep in my mind when I think of pastoral ministry. Faithfulness is the goal. For your life, faithfulness is the goal. Faithfulness is the goal. Paul says to the Corinthians, Moreover, it is required of the stewards that they be found faithful. All that we could hear from the Lord, well done, good, Faithful servant. You know, this week uh, we've been here in the office and um, it's been so encouraging to see uh, Brother Palm. Um, he has been in this place during his school break every day, pressure cleaning this building. Now, had I not seen, said this, you wouldn't have known this. Because he's not doing this for accolades and for praise. He's doing this because he loves this place. So if you walk around this building and you see that it looks nice and clean, thank Paul and, and, and tell him, you are a faithful brother. Thank you for being a faithful brother to us. Thank you for, for keeping this place beautiful. Friends, that's what faithfulness looks like. Many other acts of faithfulness will go unnoticed today, this week. We don't know them, but the Lord knows them. But Paul connects the word faithfulness here with the words brothers, doesn't he? He says, faithful 
brothers. Christians regard other Christians as brothers and sisters. Our relationship to one another is greater than the relationship we have with our earthly brothers and sisters. If anyone comes to me, Jesus says, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying that faith is thicker than blood. Blood relationships are earthly, and we should, we should love those in our home. But our relationships that are fostered in the church are eternal. And friends, this is why you need the local church. You cannot be a faithful brother and not have a covenant-based relationship with other believers. This is also why we must work hard to maintain unity. Unity as a local church takes a lot of work. It takes humility. It takes hard conversations. It takes forgiveness of sins. It takes going to your brother or sister when they have offended you and also recognizing when you have offended others. In this church, we have a church covenant. It's, an, it's a great document. And, and we need to become more and more familiarized with this document. And here's something that our church covenant says about the relationship between brothers, brothers and sisters. We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation. And mindful of the rules of our Savior, what is that? When your brother sins against you, you go to your brother. And to secure it without delay. Friends, this is how a church thrives. It is not through gimmicks. It is not through technology. It is not through having a great social media footprint. But it is through believers coming together and living well because we are one in Christ. Now notice here in the text, there are two locations, in Christ and a Colossae. One physical, one spiritual. One refers to the church universal. We're all in Christ. The other one refers to the church local. We are members of Central Baptist Church. This is a letter that is written to a local church. Notice that it's not written to pastors, elders, deacons, bishops, staff. No, the apostle is addressing the entire church. Throughout this letter, we're going to see several times that church membership, is in a, a church membership in a local congregation is a biblical teaching. And as we are going to see in the weeks ahead, Paul writes this letter to address false doctrines that are creeping into the church. Friends, it is the responsibility of the entire congregation to defend the doctrine of the church. We are all defenders of the faith of this church. This is not my responsibility or Jeff's responsibility or the responsibility of the deacons alone. It is the responsibility of each one of you to defend the doctrine of the church. Being a member of a local church like ours, is not a call to passivity. We're called to be actively involved in the process of protecting the doctrine of our church. But Paul also says that this church is located in Christ. And its spiritual location is greater than its physical location. I'm not saying that the physical location is unimportant. But the spiritual location is greater. One day, many of us will no longer be members of Central Baptist Church. We'll move on to another church. Or, we'll, or we'll, when we pass, our membership will, will cease. But we'll always be in Christ. In Christ is the most often description of the Christian life in the Bible. Paul alone uses it, actually should say, over 90 times, not nearly. Not including variations of this phrase like in him or with him. 
The word Christian is scarcely used in the Bible to describe us. Who are we? We are in Christ. We are in Him. And what does this emphasize? What does this emphasize? Union in Christ. Did you hear the words we sang right before the sermon? For my life is wholly bound to Him. That's what it means to be a Christian. This is this is it. it, it it means that we are one with our Savior. It means that our sins are His and His righteousness is ours. Listen to how Paul describes this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, He made Him to be sin, so that who knew no sin, so that we, in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It, it is by union with God that we're right before this is, a, uh, this is the, the reality of union with Christ. Paul ends the letter with the words, grace and peace from our God and Father. This is a very standard greeting from Paul. He actually uses it in every letter with slight modifications. It's a perfect summary of the Christian faith. We receive grace from God and we then experience peace. The, the concept is actually clearly laid out in Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, it's grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is purposefully mentioning grace first and then peace. Without grace, there is no peace. But with grace, there is great peace. These are also bringing two concepts together, a standard Greek greeting, Hadis, along with a Jewish concept, Shalom, holistic peace. And this is what the Lord offers us today. He offers us His grace so that we can experience peace. So friend, my prayer for you throughout this series in Colossians, is that you would experience the grace of God and you would know His peace because Christ has accomplished it for us and He calls us to trust Him in it. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would so work in our hearts that we would grow to be more like Christ, that our lives would indeed be bound to His as we consider his words to the Colossians. We pray, Father, that we would be more like you because of your preached word. We pray, Lord, that this church would grow and would experience great health as we faithfully consider your word verse by verse. Lord, we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus is